Good evening and welcome to a, another episode of Take the Two. Now, here we are about to enter round three, unfortunately, last week due to technical issues. There was no podcast, but we are back. Pat and Nat are on board. We'll start with a new segment that was supposed to start last week, but obviously because no one heard it, it didn't. So here we are with, with a new segment, basically just looking at our two takeaways from the week. And for me personally, the t- my, I mean, my two takeaways are both sort of not so much club-oriented ones, but things that I think the game really needs to start looking at properly. Uh, number one is this whole debacle with with the HIAs, where we're just seeing. I mean, we we, we saw it in round one, we saw it in round round two, and we you know I presume we're going to see it this week as well. You know, whether it was Victor Radley or Sammy Valame, or even worse, Jack Bird going off with a HIA after the bunker told him to go off, and he all he had was was a bloody nose. I've said it before, even when they decided to bring in this new thing, it makes no sense to me to have an independent doctor in the bunker deciding 10 minutes after the fact that a bloke needs to come off for a HIA when it either looks so innocuous that you think he's good to go or it's so blatant that the guy's clearly concussed on the ground and, you know, he gets up, plays on, and he's got to come off. And then, of course, we've got the flip side where – you know, obviously, you would have seen this one close in that Sean O'Sullivan against the against the Dragons, where Jaden Sewer got sin binned, hardly touched him. Like he was wasn't a bad hit. O'Sullivan stays down, gets told to go for the HIA. Sewer gets sin binned, and within five to ten minutes, O'Sullivan is back on the field. So there's there is so many grey areas with this current system that they need to work out. Either you have the doctor at the ground, or you work out some other system to to sort it out. And my second takeaway mentioning the Jaden Sewer thing is the inconsistency in sin binnings. I mean, we saw on the weekend, or the past couple rounds rather, Jaden Sewer goes to the bin for something that is never in a million years a sin bin. I mean, you can argue it was a penalty at worst, but never a sin bin. And then you go and watch things like, and and I'm not being biased here because I saw this across social media and it was mentioned on NRL360 where you have Teague Wilson who comes in and hits Mitch Moses much later than Suahita Sullivan and almost put him in a dangerous position and obviously protecting the kickers and whatnot. And, and it was just, it was a no call in that. And then you compare it to the Broncos game where Adam Reynolds got hit. And that was another one where I thought it was a, was a clear sin binning, not given. And yet players are getting sin bin for the most innocuous things that, you know, that last year would probably only have been penalties or even five years ago would have only been penalties. So I think both of those areas, they're moving in the right direction, but there's so many grey areas that they've got to fix up because otherwise fans are only going to put up with sin binnings like sewer for so long and it's not a good look for the game. Yeah, so I guess my first one was very similar to that, Ricky in the inconsistencies even things i'm noticing as well is like an escort which will often be a professional foul in the lead up to a try it's it's like sometimes you're watching games and it doesn't happen and it's just it's quite frustrating because that is something to me that i think should be a send in and it's it's something that your team should be punished for if they're doing because it's basically taking the lazy way to try and stop a try by trying to do it illegally which is the definition of a professional foul but yeah, you're seeing instances where it's not happening and it's just that needs to be consistent. And my second takeaway is, I mean, I said it last week, but uh, we can talk about it considering the podcast didn't go ahead, but they're just the evening out of the competition. We saw, I mean, for me, something that really stuck out this week was how good the Bulldogs-Broncos game was. And that is a game that we would have definitely seen last year as being a spoon off. Um, but it was a really good game. It was really good intensity from both teams, really played up into that last minute. And, like, I would argue it was better quality than the second half of Panthers-Dragons. We're just kind of seeing definitely a closing of the gap, I think, this year, which is so, so fantastic. And, yeah, hopefully we won't have the same kind of 50, 60 nil drubbings that we've seen in the past few years. And it looks like a, another good season ahead of us. Yeah, I'm with you, Nat. I think bookies must hate Blandies because, like, last year all these rules came in 
and then every game was the overs, and now it's been wound back, and every single game is going the unders. So, I mean, last weekend, not a single game went over total 40 match points, which is just so different to last year. And it's actually really good. Like, Like, I was probably in the camp before the rule changes where I was pretty happy with rugby league. But now I do appreciate that attack kind of looks like it's gone up a year. But, yeah, it's just definitely much nicer to see the competition even out, to see, like, we are still seeing some 13-plus games, but at least it's not getting too ridiculous. So that's one takeaway. It's really great to see just games kind of bring things back in. And the second one is I have to, especially as a Knights fan, but I have to remind myself that it's only round two. So teams that were very disappointing last week really bounced back. Yeah. And some other teams went the other way. So I definitely think we need more of a sample size. You know, different like different attacks and defences and styles are just going to take time. So for everyone out there that's listening, you know, be patient. If your team isn't doing great, I'm sure that they're working on getting a win or just working on those combinations. The one thing, though, even though it's two rounds in, I'm feeling quite confident that the Knights aren't a wooden spoon team. So for people who were backing them in the preseason to get a wooden spoon, I just feel that unless something horrendously wrong happens, as my mate Anthony likes to say, they'll all be eating a huge serving of humble pie. <laughs> For sure. You can say that again, Wall. I guess good thing you bring up the Knights, Pat, because obviously there's plenty of action to dissect. And Thursday night, to kick things off, is the Sutherland Derby, the, or the Wollongong Derby, if you will. You know, the Cronulla Sharks and the St. George Illawarra Dragons. And I know people have been very... I guess critical and it's been justified of the Dragons being, you know, the the, the March premiers and, and whatnot. And we've certainly seen that in the last or in the majority of the, the seasons past. I get the feeling that there's a there's a little bit of extra, I guess, pizzazz to this Dragon side in 2022. I mean, obviously, you know, they, they managed to chase down Penrith. But in 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 or almost chase down Penrith to win in round two. Looked pretty good. I mean, I think there's probably Probably still a few small things combination-wise that they want to fix. Obviously, Tyrrell Sloan is still quite a young guy and, you know, does, doesn't have the, I guess, that experience that that all the big fullbacks have to, to, to I guess, take the bull, the bull by the horns, which I guess doesn't need to with Ben Hunt. And, you know, the Sharks are obviously a side that, they, you know, they're one and one, probably had that close battle against the Eels. I think because, the, you know, given the physicality of that contest, you'd imagine that with a shorter turnaround that, the Sharks might be hurting a bit in that one. So I, I think this is this is a, a decent game for the Dragons to win and, and potentially go 2-1. and one. Yeah, look, it's going to be a really good game, which is probably something we wouldn't have expected maybe at the beginning of the season. But, yeah, the Dragons, I thought they were really impressive last week, and they were the week before as well. I think the biggest thing that the Dragons have in their favour at the moment is Ben Hunt's kicking game. Coming from a side that's played them this year, I was terrified every time he got the ball because – you just don't know what's going to happen, you know. He he just kind of gets it right every time and he makes it really difficult for our backs to kind of stop their attack in that sense. So, yeah, I think that they've got a really big um, advantage with, with Ben Hunt there. He's so experienced and he's in really good form. But then on the other end, I'm super, super impressed with Cronulla this year. Um, they really took it to the Raiders last year and it was a last-minute loss that they copped and then they kind of flipped the tables on Parramatta this week and did the same thing that the Raiders did to them the week before. But I just thought they were fantastic. Really, really impressed with them. Again, I think that Moylan and Hines combo has is going to have teething problems, but it's really promising so far. I think the Sharks will outclass Dragons, but I'm expecting it to be a nice close game. Yeah, Sam, I reckon it's going to be really, really good game. It's also, I feel like throughout this whole weekend, we've got a good combination of, of like a rivalry round kind of feel and what a great way to kick us off. So, yeah, Dragons have really surprised me this year. I really, like, I didn't think that they were going to go that bad. I know that bookies, I think, had them as favourites for the spoon. I didn't think that they would be like that. But I also didn't think that they'd be, I guess, as competitive as they've been. Um, and, yeah, just looking at, yeah, looking at Ben Hunt, like last week, he's his kicking game is just so immense. He's just so valuable to him. I think if I t- was to look at the two lineups, I think the big thing that is going to hurt the Dragons is not having a recognised nine. So Mbai is going to start there. I mean, I don't know if there's going to be any changes, but they don't have any depth 
on their bench to cover that position. And yeah, I mean, I think a few people have mentioned maybe pushing Hunt to nine, but you, you wouldn't weaken, you wouldn't move him from seven. He's actually playing too good at seven to move him to nine, and then you're going to have an Amon M by half combination like that. Yeah, I just don't see that. So it's a bit of a shame to see McCulloch go down because I think he was a really steady hand for them. Uh, and then the Sharks, on the other hand, like, again, I've been pretty bullish on the Sharks. I thought they were really good last week. My boy Nacho Hines really stepped it up. Obviously, he didn't bring his kicking boots to start the game, but he nailed the one at the end, unfortunately for you, Ricky, to to get him over the line. But, yeah, I thought with Moylan and Hines, like, it was really interesting to watch where I feel the week before they definitely felt clunkier where – Last week against Parramatta, like, Moylan, I thought, had a really good game. It's probably the best game I've seen from him in so long. And then, yeah, I feel like for Nico Hines, it's just still going to take him a bit of time. But I've read somewhere, you know, he had had 60 receipts or something for the game. um, And he's topping that compared to a lot of other players. He's one of the highest outside of dummy halves in terms of people who are touching the ball. So he's really trying to get involved. Like he's easing his way into it. But yeah, I'm probably with Nat where I just think that the class of the Sharks is going to come through. And also just a little note that I heard something really interesting today around it. Like last year when they sacked Morris, John Morris, the Sharks, I was probably one of the guys who thought that that was a bit harsh, more just around how it happened. But over the past three years, like they haven't beaten any top eight teams. And then last week in his second game, first game where he's actually in charge, like actually at the game, Fitzgibbon gets not only a top eight or a top four scout, but someone who a lot of people is considering to be a premiership contender in the Eels. So, you know, it's, it's not exactly just vindication for that decision straight away, but you know, within two rounds, he's already done something that over the past three years they haven't been able to do. A very good-looking shark side. I mean, obviously, I think you know they they certainly have their own things to work on. But I mean, if that if that pack is able to play as physically in round two, pretty much every round, then they will go a long way to beating some of those sides that are sporting bigger packs with you know the more fancied props. But it's a good start from them, and obviously they do have a perfect chance to. To get one up over their rivals heading into round three. And I guess every week we seem to have a game that, you know, you look at and think, oh, geez, that could be a, sounds bad, but Boon Bowl candidate. And obviously, unfortunately, the Tigers and the Warriors are both 0-2 to start the year. Obviously, the West Tigers are in the news that Jackson Hastings is out for three weeks after successfully downgrading his dangerous throw, but still missing three weeks. I mean, go figure. What was the point of, of uh, trying to downgrade it anyway? But you would have to say that the loss of Hastings has turned the tide in the Warriors' favour, who they've looked okay in parts, but their defence really, has really let them down of late. Very tough week weekend for the Tigers. I was, I mean, I was obviously happy with the result. I was watching it with my, with my mate who is a Tigers supporter. He wasn't very happy during the entire <laughs> contest. I think, and again, you know, I'm going to be as positive as I can be that it's only round two. I just think that the big thing for them you know, like they just didn't look that interested throughout the game. I just felt like once the Knights last week got on top, they just stayed on top. You know, if I was to take any positives for the Tigers, is that they were only 14 nil down in that first half, and they could have been, it could have been a lot worse. And taking a look, like they just had so many errors. You know, they just didn't hold it together. Hastings, I thought, was their best player. It was probably the only good thing for them trying to get them going forward. They're coming up against a Warriors team that's that is also very down on confidence and form. Like I really don't know which way this game's gonna go. I think, you know, even just looking like Brown's kind of it's now a Nicarima, Harris Tavita, halves combination, which I'm surprised it just wasn't that when Johnson got ruled out. Apparently Ash Taylor got hurt uh in last week's game. Like if I was to go through one to seventeen, I think the Warriors just probably just based on their forward pack have the edge but yeah i mean this could be i mean this could be anything honestly i just hope i actually just hope for both teams that they just have a little bit of consistency with their ball control you know they just need to both hold on to the ball get through their sets build a bit of pressure and i think it can go either way all right i'm going to lean towards the warriors but with zero confidence never i never feel confident 
tip of the Warriors. Yeah, I agree entirely. I think that this could really go either way. And I also think that it's one of these games that's probably not going to have a huge bearing on where these teams are at because either of them can really turn up on their day and then they can just kind of fall behind on their day as well. I think without Hastings, I have to go with the Warriors. The Warriors, you know, they weren't horrendous last week. The Tigers were definitely more horrendous. So I think, yeah, it's a tough one. I don't know if this is going to be the world's best game to watch. But I think, yeah, I think I'll have to say the Warriors in this one. It is going to be a very interesting game. And, yeah, certainly it's not a game, like you said, Pat, that you can tip with any confidence because the <laughs> the Warriors, they've always been that team. When you don't tip them, they win. When you tip them, they lose. So it's, mm. it's just... They're the Achilles heel of, of tipping, sorry. I mean, that's how people lose competitions, you know. <laughs> I do think it'll be a good game, but it's it's going to be very difficult to what to expect from the Tigers with no Hastings, given how, how well he's been playing in what has been, a I guess, a pretty poor, what, 100 minutes or so, obviously, round two and then the back end of that Storm game. So time will tell what happens. And certainly a team who have been very poor this year, it must be said, even last week with Latrell Mitchell's return, that's the South Sydney Rabbitohs coming up against the Sydney Roosters. Roosters finally got on the board last week in terms of wins, looked much better than they did in round one. And I do think we could potentially see a cricket score here. I think even though it was only one round, I thought the Roosters really found their mojo. You know, Takeo through the middle was tremendous. Tedesco from the back was doing the Tedesco things that we're, we're accustomed to seeing. And just they just look so much better. And I, I look at the south side, who they still have a, a a decent spine, obviously, apart from Ilias, who is still a young guy and has to apply his trade. They've got, you know, probably easily the second best lock in the game in Cameron Murray. You know, Jairos look pretty good playing out in the back row. But I don't know, they the attack just does not look as coordinated as it needs to be. And we've said it before, there's no Adam Reynolds, so they can't, they can't wrestle control of a game and are always playing on the back foot. Yeah, look, I agree. I think that Souths, you know, they looked terrible in round one and they didn't look much better at all this past week coming. They obviously came back a little bit against Melbourne, which was promising, but it still definitely wasn't what we're used to seeing from Souths. I think one person that can hold his head high is Campbell Graham in the back line there. He's been quite good in a losing side for two weeks running now. So I think that he is really, you know, giving it his best go. And there are players, as you mentioned, Ricky, like Jai Arrow as well, who are really giving it a shot, but it's just not clicking at the moment. And on the other hand, you have the Roosters who really did click last week against Manly. Whether that's a reflection more on Manly, like, you know, if I guess this game will kind of tell us a little bit of that. But they were really, really fantastic. They controlled the game from the, you know, the get-go. They let them back in a little bit towards the end, but that seemed to be the trend of the round. So I really do back the Roosters 13-plus here. I don't think it's going to be a close game. I'm probably going to go uh, against the both of you guys. Like I think that the Roosters definitely should be favourites and will probably come out on top. But I just like just the history with these two teams. I can see it being closer than what we probably think. And to me, a big part of it is it's such a minor change when you look at the team list. But Milne to centre and Paulo to the wing makes so much sense. I don't know why it wasn't that. Because last year, Paulo was the the grand final winger. Tane Milne filled in at left centre when Gagai was out and actually did a pretty good job. So that, to me, just made so much sense. And last week against Melbourne, they were disgusting in that first half. Like, they had no right to send that game to Golden Point. You know, like, it was an exciting 15 minutes. And I watched it with my dad. He's a massive South supporter. Mm -hmm. So it was obviously, like, riding that wave was really awesome but they should not be that melbourne just like they will get to melbourne later but like they they should not have been in that game because they were completely blown off the park the only thing that i saw as the positive was they were just so they just kept going back like they just kept attacking that side paulo could not get the timing of that right to left shift at all which is obviously where they're missing gagai like hugely, like it's actually so, it's just now so understated in the offseason how much of a loss Gagai was to the Rabbitohs, but the timing was just so off. And then the second Milne went to the left centre and Paulo went to the right wing, things just started clicking. 
So they started to find the pass. They were able to get their hand. So it actually looked more similar to what we saw last year. And then going to the Roosters, I mean, they were so impressive last week. And they just came out with energy from the kickoff. Takeaho was just a man on a mission, and he didn't look like that at all last year. Like, he kind of looked a little bit slower. You know, maybe the new with the rule changes, it's maybe brought him back into the fold. I always thought he was a guy with a big motor, but he just looked a little off the pace last year. I know that he had some hammy issues. But, you know, last week, he was outstanding. He just he took that entire pack onto his shoulders and was just blowing Manly apart. I also thought it was really interesting just – I mean, both teams actually did those last-minute switches. Uh, Demetrio tried to channel the Kurt Gidley captain from the bench with Murray, which I don't really understand. I'm kind of glad that he scrapped that because they got blown off the park without Murray on there. And similar with, like, Robinson, where he made that switch. I actually think it's the correct switch where he put Watson to the bench, and when Watson came on, he just provided so much energy. Within a few minutes, he already had a try assist, I'm pretty sure. So... Look, Chucky's really classy, deserved favourites. I actually can't I can't tip them with full confidence. I just think that like the Rabbitohs cannot start the year sorry, 0 and 3. And they've had their they've had the Roosters number. Like last year, I can't I don't actually don't I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I feel like they played them twice and blew them out of the water mm. twice when no one thought that was gonna happen. And even uh twenty twenty, the last round of twenty twenty was that the game where they put like 56 points or was that last yeah. year? Like, you know, they just. Yeah, like both times. <laughs> yeah, like they just absolutely loved this game. So, I don't know. I'm going to go to the Rabbitohs. Stuff it. <laughs> I'm going to go against the grain. I'm tipping, I'm tipping, I'm tipping an upset. <laughs> Bold prediction, Mr. Pat. Bold. <laughs> the Rabbitohs have the potential to be better, no question. And I think moving Paulo back to the wing did help. But I think. It, it would be remiss to not mention the fact that their last two tries did come when Justin Ollen went to the bin. I mean, like rightfully so. Like that was, you know, as good as he is, that was that was a dumb play. And that, that obviously, you know, led to the golden point, Latrell's magic boot. I think the part for me is I was amazed. I felt that, I mean, the ball went to Pappenhausen in the golden point and, you know, Souths were very slow to react in a way. Obviously, they, I say they were slow to react. Obviously, Pappenhausen still had to get past that, you know, those first couple of blokes. But there's no way that a guy should be able to effectively step back inside and still kick a field goal in a moment like that. You'd expect that more of the team would be, you know, applying the pressure, but they didn't and they lost the game. And, you know, Pappenhausen is is as cool as they come in, in that sense. Obviously, he's done it before. But as I said, bold, Pat, bold. If they win, manage to, to pull a Swifty on us all and tip... The absolute underdog after they <laughs> they don't play well, but certainly a team that you know the bookies have them as actually much larger underdogs than I would have expected, considering that they are in first and that's your Newcastle Knights pat. And obviously, you know, I'll, I'll we'll come to the Panthers side shortly with you, Nat. But as a Knights fan, you've got to be pretty impressed how how your side has travelled so far, and particularly seeing you know how well Clifford and Clune have gelled. I mean, I, I actually think your four best players so far this year have been Clifford, Clune, Gagai, and Frizzell. It's obviously been a very pleasing start to, to the year. I think that the, the biggest thing that I've really liked about the Knights is the fact that their play style, obviously their attack looks so much better, um, but the more that I've been thinking about it, the more that I feel, you know, again, and Pierce, Pierce was such a warrior for us, and he actually had an, a really good win percentage with the Knights, but I feel that our attack and our identity at times reflected him, and when I say that, I mean that, you know, there was just so long where he was kind of really erratic on the field, and yes, he was hyper-competitive, but there'd be times where he definitely took the wrong option and, you know, he'd run when he shouldn't have. And I just feel like the team kind of felt flustered where with Adam Clune, who obviously isn't a superstar, but he's doing an amazing job. He's just doing his role. He's making his kicks. You know, his try assist for best last, last week was awesome. Like he just put him into space and, you know, that really just didn't happen. Like last year, especially with Pierce. You know, probably over the past few years, that just really didn't happen. So, yeah, really pleased with the effort and what I'm seeing. Again, it's round two, so 
But I think a big thing for the Knights, where I was kind of on the, you know, I said it pre-season that I don't see the Knights staying the same. They're either going to improve or they're going to fall out. From what I've seen, they definitely look improved. And I think the one thing that no one's really talking about is out of all, you know, we didn't make that many moves in the offseason, but the biggest moves we made was with our, our high-performance staff and poaching Hayden Knowles from Penrith, who, you know, Hayden Knowles went to Penrith and they went minor premiers in a grand final. And it's actually an acquisition that if I look at the Knights team, they look super fit. So in two games, they've come out and from the first minute to the 80th minute have just been unrelenting. So I'm actually really looking forward to this game against Penrith. Like in years gone by, the game against the Tigers is the kind of game that the Knights would lose. You know, like it's just the kind of game that we lose. And this is also the game coming up against the premiership heavyweights, you know, the, the reigning champs where the Knights would get a reality check. You know, it kind of happened last year. We strung a couple of games together. We played Melbourne. They put like 30 on us or something. So this is the, all I want from this game from a Knights fan's perspective is the same effort from the first minute to the 80th minute that we've seen in the first two weeks. And just to be... Be respectful that you're versing the chance, but also don't give them too much respect that you're not going to play your own game. Like, I want to see the Knights in their faces. I want to see them just in the contest. And, you know, the the Panthers do have some injury clouds this week. So if you're ever going to play, want to play Penrith, they're not actually at home, even though they're the home team. They're in Bathurst. So if you ever want to play them, it's out of Penrith with Toto out. You know, clear his name, but he's still, uh, you know, the mail I heard that he still won't play. And, you know, Fisher-Harris still might not play. So if you're ever going to play them, that's the time you want to do it. So I just really hope we give a good account for ourselves. Nice 13 plus. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely, um, definitely not. (laughs) I'm nervous about this game because we were really good in round one and the first half of last week was good, but the second half of last week was quite poor. Kind of made me a little bit nervous if we trot that kind of play out in front of a team like the Knights, they could put a score on quickly. So, yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. I think obviously we do have a few of those injury problems. We've got Brian gone now for six to eight weeks, but we've got Taylor May coming in. And Brian's been quiet, I think, so far this year, which is probably attributed to that injury. So I don't know if it's going to make a huge difference in the way we've been playing this year so far. And I'm really excited to see Taylor May get a go. I've been a big fan of his. Otherwise, we've got that fish problem as well I think when fish went off last week it was pretty much the beginning of when we started to slide and that happens so often with him he's just such an important part of our team and you know obviously he's rated highly but I don't think he's rated highly enough in terms of his significance in our team so I think if fish can play I'll be a lot more confident but if fish doesn't play I'm a little bit concerned about this one I've got to pick Penrith because it's what I've got to do but I honestly would not be remotely surprised if we lose this one Oh, you have little faith, Nat. <laughs> I said that before the Manly game too, and look how that worked out. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you did, didn't you? But it's definitely game of the round, obviously, first versus second, and, you know, two teams that, for the most part, have looked pretty good, and it's certainly, it, you know, it does set us up for a bumper Super Saturday. Obviously, the second game of the day is the Melbourne Storm and the Parramatta Eels down at Amy Park, and, you know, as I mentioned earlier, the Sharks are certainly the more physical side uh, in that Eels game. You know, I, I guess that they were deserved winners. There were some things that as an Eels fan, I thought, you know, maybe could have gone in, in a different direction. But obviously, you know, you play what's in front of you, listen to the refs, do what they say and and, and whatnot. But there, there is imp- improvement needed in the Eels side. But my personal perspective is I think what cannot be doubted is, you know, Mitchell Moses has been the Eels' most consistent player for the last two to three years. And, you know, yet again, it was it was his you know, kick and chase that got us back into the game ultimately and, you know, didn't put ourselves in a position to, to ice it in the end and, you know, the attack still looks clunky and it's, I think in a way this is not a bad time for the Eels to play Melbourne. Obviously, you know, we've touched on it before. They did beat Melbourne twice last year. Certainly what was once a bogey team for the Eels is now no longer and, you know, that obviously now with the news that Harry Grant is out as well. So that's certainly... Puts the Eels in a better position to win, but I think this is, you know, this is a good time to play the Storm because the Eels sort of do run into a bit of an easier schedule, a more easy schedule, I should say, over the next few rounds after this. So, 
if you can snag this win, obviously give the Storm their first loss of the season, it, it, it'll sort of, I guess, propel the Eels back into that premiership material that people think. I mean, or, or mind you, I, I, I still think the Eels are a team that, that could be 10-0 and 0 and that's, there would still be people saying that they can't win the premiership because they're that polarising. But it's definitely going to be a very good game. And I think based on recent history and, you know, what we come to expect of the Eels side stepping up against the big teams, I, I do think there's a, a decent chance that they could come away with this one, even, even playing down in Melbourne. Yeah, I think Parramatta should win this game. I think mainly with Melbourne, the injuries are just starting to pile up a little bit for them. Usually for them, Harry Grant has COVID this week, so he'll be out. And he just makes such a huge difference to that side. So I think with Harry Grant being out and kind of noticing that Melbourne did slip as well towards the end of last week, granted Olam was out, but he, he was sent off. Um, that, that still was a notable, noticeable slip. So I do think that Parramatta really should win this one. Melbourne at the moment are not that unbeatable side they have been for the past couple of years. I think they are very beatable, even in Melbourne. And I think Parramatta need to bounce back after last week's loss. Although I do believe Parramatta actually played better last week than they did the week before, even though it was a loss. But they really need to kind of assert themselves in this competition this year. Otherwise, they might get left behind a little bit. So I think I, I do see Parramatta winning this one. This round is actually super hard to, to, to tip. Yeah. This is probably the hardest round to tip. Like, every game is actually really quite even. I've definitely flip-flopped between the Storm and Parramatta for this weekend. I mean, Harry yeah, Harry Grant's a huge loss. If we just look at the Storm last week, like, I don't know what happened because they should have been up 30-0 at halftime. They were... On fire. Harry Grant just completely tore South to shreds. And just all of them, they were all on fire. You know, Pappenhausen just icing his veins with that <laughs> with that step with the rushing defence and then ice that field goal. You know, deserved winners, but very worried because they just could not put them to bed in that second half. They didn't score a point until the field goal in the second half. So, very yeah, some worrying signs. And, yeah, now I think you hit the nail on the head there. You know, just down on troops... You know, especially without just a couple of those fours, like without Christian Welsh especially, like he just kind of really tidies up the middle and really just brings just a lot to their defence. And I just feel like, yeah, with a couple of those outs, you probably wouldn't have seen Souths make it as close as they ended up making it. And for Parramatta, I mean, I don't know. I was actually pretty concerned with Parramatta last week. I know that it was really tight and they only lost by two, but just their, yeah, their goal line attack was really out of sorts like I felt like they had a lot of opportunity and just kept getting turned away and the only like the only time they cracked them like that Mitchell Moses chip and chase was awesome like that was so cool to watch and that was like a fantastic try but you know they can't just rely on those moments of brilliance to get all their points all the time and I don't know I was just a bit concerned so I kind of you know I started out with tipping Melbourne and then I changed to Parramatta and then I did change back just before we recorded the pod to Melbourne only because I can only imagine the absolute lashing that Craig Bellamy would have given Melbourne. Like on his 500th game, they they almost lost to a team that they should have beaten by 40. I could only imagine the, the, the strips he tore off his players in the sheds after. So I just reckon they're going to be much better prepared to close out the game. But as you know, as Parramatta has shown, they're not scared to play Melbourne. They love beating Melbourne. Like they're the they're, they're the first team in however long to beat them twice in a regular season last year. So could definitely go either way. Again, another cracker. I'm just going to go with Storm because they're at home, and I feel like Bellamy would have sent an absolute rocket at them. But again, would not surprise me at all to see Parramatta get this. I'll probably end up changing my tip before kickoff. <laughs> Let's put it that way. <laughs> as an Eels fan, I think it's to the you know the lack of cohesion when it comes to goal line attack. I mean, it probably is worth mentioning that the Eels they lost on one side two of their starting wingers in Hayes Dunter and Sean Russell. You got Wanga Blake who is a centre playing on the wing and look, I mean, I'll be honest, Wanga Blake playing on the wing doesn't exactly fill many Eels fans with confidence in defence. Then obviously you have Bailey Simonson who is still you know new to the Parramatta system and and whatnot. So I think it, it's just a lot of a lot of moving pieces that have been out of the club's control have probably directly contributed to it. But in in some way, I do agree. Obviously, there are a lot of elements that haven't quite clicked in attack, and 
I, I mean, no better time to do it against Melbourne to to snag that that one that one possible try and then just defend your guts out. But obviously, it's much like the game before it with the the Knights and Panthers. It's going to be another tremendous contest. I mean, these two sides probably for the last four or five years have, for the most part, put on very physical contests, and it's always been you know gone down to the 80 minutes to play it. I guess the final game of the round is is a game where I look at these two sides and and you always just wonder what could have been with these two sides. I mean, case in point, it, there's no perfect, there's no more perfect example than the Gold Coast Titans. I mean, it's I I still don't understand why why or how in a side where you literally have the most destructive ball runner in the game. I mean, like bar none in David Fafita and how you can go at a game. He literally, t- I think he touched the ball like in terms of runs about six times. I mean, that's to me, that's that's unthinkable. I mean, this is a guy that you want him touching the ball at least 11 to 12, 13 times in the game because you just know that pretty much at least half those runs, there's going to be a couple of tackle breaks, maybe an offload, probably even a try or a line break because he's just that good. And the Titans attack either always goes left or when it finally comes to David Fafita, Jaden Campbell, who is a, is a talented kid, don't get me wrong, but he's a ball hog, and that's just stifles the Titans' attack and feed us so much. And I'm not even a Titans fan, and, and it frustrates me. It's funny that they still just don't know how to use the feeder. I, I also see other arguments that he doesn't go looking for the ball compared to other compared to other back rowers. But even you know, it, I, obviously, I watch the Knights the closest out of anyone. But this year, I'm kind of seeing how both, you know, Frizzell and Fitzgibbon until they got injured are both being brought into the game by their halves. And I just don't see the Titans do that on a regular basis. Like, to your point, Ricky, either using him as the decoy all the time or cutting him out when, if you give the ball to David Feeder, he is going to break, he's going to beat the first man, like, every time. So, yeah, I I don't know what they're going to do. Um I don't know why they moved him to right back row. Like I thought that was a bit weird when a lot of their attackers left. Bo Firmer, on the other hand, the other back rower looks like an absolute stud. Like he looks like an absolute superstar, and he's getting quality ball and he's hitting the line and he's hit. You know, he's getting into those holes. So they can clearly use edge back rowers, but they don't really use Fafita. If I look at this game from the Titans' perspective, they've had two games be decided by two points. So one a victory, one a loss. I think it was the two. It, Parramatta won by two points, right, Ricky, in the first yeah. first week? Yeah. So, like, Justin Holbrook must just have high blood pressure all the time. Like, this team, I don't know. Like, I, <laughs> I don't know if they just allow, you know, they scored in the off the kickoff or something against the Warriors in the first minute. So they can tear teams apart and they know how to attack, but then they just really like inviting teams back in. Like that inconsistency is going to cost them. Like I like I have them as the team falling out of the eight, and it's not to do with lack of talent. Like they've got the talent, but just yeah, that hot cold, and it's not even about win loss throughout a season. It's just a you know that hot and cold throughout the game, and just because they're young, they're going through teething issues. So you know eventually they'll get there. I just don't think they're there yet. So when I look at the Raiders, man, that was such a tough game to watch last week. They were horrendous. Like, they were so bad. And they just didn't hold the ball. It's almost like they must have walked off the plane and the humidity just took the life out of them. Because they, I think... To be fair, Townsville can do that to you. Oh, 100 percent. Like, so that, that just got them. You know, they were so – they were tired, lethargic. They had nothing in attack. I mean, at the end of the day, they had 56% completion. You, they're not going to win, you know. They're not going to win a game of football where they're dropping it every second set. And it wasn't even like they were dropping it on last, not getting to kicks. It was first tackle kind of stuff. Like, it was so poor to watch them. The only way is up. Like, there's no way that Ricky Short's going to let that – sit very well so i think that they're going to have a pretty big bounce back they're back at home they don't have to worry about 30 degree heat at eight o'clock at night and the ridiculous levels of humidity it's probably going to be nice and cool 
very much their conditions in Canberra. I've got the Raiders winning this, but this is, again, a, a game that can go either way. I just feel that, yeah, the Raiders will bounce back, and the, yeah, and the Titans just have shown that they let teams into the contest, and they can't really afford to let the Raiders into the contest because the Raiders will enjoy kicking kicking on with it if they do, you know, if they do sniff a chance to go ahead. Yeah, it's really difficult because, like, as we spoke about, the Titans have been so close. You know, they won by two and they've lost by two. They've got good parts about their game, but they've also got some things that they need to work on, which you guys have discussed predominantly. Injecting feeder into the game is just crazy. It's a bit of a waste at the moment. And then you've got Canberra, who were super impressive in round one and so disappointing in round two. So it's just a matter of what are we going to get? I see it to be a bit of a triathlon. I think defence might fly out the window. It might be, you know, akin to both of their first their first round games. And, yeah, I think the fact that Canberra are at home and they did have such an embarrassing loss last week will probably get them over the line as well. So I have to say I think Canberra might win, but it could go either way. I think it's two sides that are allergic to defence, but uh, <laughs> we'll see what happens. And certainly I think, some, I guess, an underdog game, if that's the right way to put it, is going to await us on Sunday with the Broncos and the Cowboys. I mean, who would have thought that after th- after two rounds, the Broncos would be 2-0? Oh, two very low-scoring games, it must be said. But I think with the... I mean, Her- and Herbie Farnworth was tremendous last week. But I think the Broncos, much like the Titans with Fafita, even though they've won two games, they have to find a way to get Katoni Staggs in the game. And I know people will come out and say... I mean, like they do with Fafita, you know, go find the ball more and you need to go and do this and and whatnot. But that's not always the job of a centre. Like, that's the wingers are the ones that ruck it out. And I think Katoni Staggs had two or three main touches and every touch he looked good. Like, we've seen what he can do. I mean, of course, I mean, I I still remember his try against the Dragons last year or or, or a couple of years ago, literally beat about six blokes and, and, you know, ran 80 metres to score. So he's not... He's not a slouch, and obviously neither is Selwyn Cobbo on his outside, but you just got to find a way to get your best players the ball. And I think if the Broncos just continue to sort of play the way that they are, when they come up against the, you know, against the sides that are more rigid defensively and actually you know, pride themselves on defensive structures, then we may find them struggling if they can't find ways to get their best players in the game. And obviously, you know, the Cowboys looked good against the Raiders, but to your point, Pat, the Raiders were terrible, <laughs> you know, so it's a, it's always difficult to predict how a team is going to go when one side is just that bad that they were never in the contest. But it was a good showing from, from the Cowboys. I guess, unfortunately, we probably can't roast Todd Payton this week like we did last week. I mean, it, well, I, I, mean I guess we still can. I mean, some of his, you know, to only play Tamalolo for as little as he did when, you know, Dean Young comes out in the preseason and says, yeah, JT is ready to go. He's going to play 65 minutes. He's pumped up, blah, blah, blah. And it comes game time and he's playing 45, 50 minutes. I mean, that's baffling in and of itself. But I, I will go the Broncos in this one. But they've got to get Katoni. They've got to find a way to get Stags in the game more often. Yeah, I agree with you. I think Cowboys were good last week for sure. But how much of that was maybe Raiders just not turning up? And then you've got Brisbane, who had a really good tight game against the Bulldogs. I was really, really impressed with them. I've been super impressed with them both games, to be honest. Really excited by a couple of the plays they've got there. You mentioned Cobbo. He's a superstar. Adam Reynolds will really warm into the role as well because he didn't do a whole lot on Sunday. You know, he didn't have to, really. They didn't need him to be a star. But he's just going to get better and better every week that he's with them there. So I think that Brisbane will win. And I actually think Brisbane are really a team to watch this year. You know, I think we all expect them to improve, but I think they might find themselves in the eight at the end of the year. I know it's only round three, but I've got a feeling. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I don't know what's going to happen with the Broncos. And this is another game where, I mean, I don't know what's going to happen. Like, who would have thought that the Broncos could be 3-0, and like, honestly? Yeah, I mean, that win against the Bunnies has really actually just set them up. And, you know, even though I said at the start of the potty that it's only round two, these are the games where you, if you're banking these points early, it can be the difference between top eight or potentially top four or whatever it might be. So especially for the t- clubs that traditionally struggle. So for the Broncos, like these points are just invaluable to get them as far away from the bottom as they can, just to give them a bit of breathing room. And I mean, especially for Kevy, just to release that pressure valve. I, I thought the Broncos, I know we're going to talk about the, 
dogs later. But I thought the Broncos were very impressive in the fact that they were able to win a game where they only had 40% possession. Like, they were getting, like, dominated in that area. And, you know, it also speaks volumes to the dogs' attack, which I'll probably speak about later. But fair play to the Broncos. I mean, they've only conceded two tries this season. Is that right? I'm pretty sure they've only conceded two tries. And, like... And, you know, what's actually funny is that's the same as the Cowboys. You know, I can't believe that when we're no. looking at these two teams and they've only conceded two tries each where they've been awful on the other side of the ball. You know, they've been terrible defensively over the past couple of years. So, you know, I completely agree with both of you with Stags. I think that if he wants to take his game to another level, all he has to look at is his opposite, you know, is his centre on the other side because Herbie Farnsworth just gets involved consistently. You know, he goes looking for it. He looks for those dirty carries. He like he's always in the game. Speaking about like the the Dolphins, I'm pretty sure he's off contract. Like he should be someone that <laughs> they should be chasing because like Herbie is an absolute gun. But for Katoni, yeah, he just needs to get involved a little bit more. I know it's really easy. I think time it'll happen over time. Adam Reynolds plays the right side, so does Herbie. So there should be chances for that combination to build as the season progresses. Adam Reynolds and Katoni with the all-time disallowed, you know, dis- fail yeah. fail tries last week with the with the tunnel ball from Reynolds. That was Amazing. awesome. That was so yeah, that was awesome. Yeah, the Broncos have really surprised me. You know, you can only you can only beat what's in front of you, and so far they've only conceded two tries. So they're obviously scrambling really well. They're backing their defense, which is really great. If any team had that kind of weighted possession against them last year or the year before, they would have just crumbled to pieces. So I think that's really good to see them actually sticking together as a unit. And then with the Cowboys, I mean, Tamalolo last week was amazing. That opening stint. He was he wound back the clock and actually looked like Tamalolo. He completely owned that Raiders forward pack. Every run he was getting 10, 15, you know, there was one run where he had 20 or 30 meters of post contact. It was crazy. It was so good to watch. And I think as well, just on the the minutes for last week, I think the plan was to give him more minutes, but by that point it was already like 26-6 or whatever. And it was just like, you know what, like we're not going to bring him back on for no reason. So I feel it's really good, you know, to see him get that match fitness back and to have a have a run. The most surprising player to me is Tom Dearden. I think he's had a really great start to the year. I think he trialed really well. I think he could just be – he obviously got bought on the potential that he showed, but he just looks like he's a bit bigger. He's more solid defensively. He's not missing as many tackles, and he's definitely creating for them. So they've also surprised me because I did – I was riding them pretty hard for the spoon. But, again, it is round two. Anything can happen. The Raiders, again, we're at 58% completion. But you can only beat what's in front of you. So I'm going to go the Broncos here. I just think that they've probably shown more, like, to me, in certain areas, better signs. But, again, this could go either way. I mean, these are, these are two teams that I didn't really have too much hope for. So I'm just leaning with the Broncos because, yeah, I don't know. Why not? <laughs> yeah, it should be a good game. You know, another Queensland derby and certainly a game that I don't think we would have expected to be seeing Manly in the wooden spoon position after two rounds. I mean, they for, for as much as we talk about Tommy Turbo and what he can do and how good he is, I think what's hurt Manly this year is there's no more of that. You get, you know, you get six against in, inside your own 40. Obviously, now it's a penalty and, and whatnot. And I think that's... That's hurt Manly because I think they, you know, they obviously blew a few teams off the park, you know, scoring 40, 50 points and able to do that on the back of you get that six again, you catch a team off guard, get an extra man, you know, in in your attack. And I think teams have worked out as well. Just don't kick the ball to Tommy Turbo and you put yourself in every in every position to win because obviously Jason Saab and Ruben Garrick and not they're not bad players, but certainly. If you nullify Tom to Tommy Turbo, as we've seen, and even when he wasn't playing at the start of last season, there's not much that they can really do without him per se. So certainly, maybe this is a good time for the for Manly to play a, you know, to play the Bulldogs, obviously who themselves are not struggling but have a lot to improve on. And I still think they need to find a controlling half to play alongside Matt Burton. I know I've. 
I've said that pretty, <laughs> pretty much every week to date now and even in the preseason, but doesn't look doesn't look like that's going to happen with the the insistence to play Avarillo uh, in the halves. But this is going to be an interesting game. I mean, I I do think Manly bounce back in this game, but I certainly am not expecting a blowout by any means. Yeah, hear me out. Bulldogs might win. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know. I, I just do Manly get better from what they've shown us. They're really the only side that's put in two consecutive table performances this year. Each of the other sides have kind of had some sort of bounce back or they've, you know, you can look at the Tigers, for example, the first week wasn't that bad. And then last week was terrible. It wasn't both of them terrible. Whereas I feel like they've been terrible both times. And I don't, I think Turbo might be in for a bit of a long year. I think he's a fantastic player, but I also think that, you know, people are kind of figuring him out a little bit and really nullifying him. And and when you do that, you have players around him that were perhaps glorified given his form last year that aren't really doing much on their own, including your Garricks and your Saabs and Morgan Harper and that kind of thing. So I think they've got serious problems. On the other hand, you look at the Bulldogs and I wasn't impressed with them last week, but I was impressed with them this past week coming. Sorry, I wasn't impressed with them in round one, I mean. And I think, yeah, Burton was excellent in that in that Broncos game. I thought they were really promising, and I think they, they kind of played a bit cohesively. We haven't really seen from them too much. I'm really liking Burns in, in the backs there. I think he's actually doing a pretty good job. You know, Tavita managed to – I don't think he managed to get himself suspended. I think he was on a report, but I don't think he got suspended, which is a great start for him. And I don't think there's any reason why Bulldogs can't win this game. I don't think it's going to be a blowout by any means, and I don't think Manly are going to necessarily have this bounce back. I just don't know where that bounce back is going to come from. So, you know, I think I'm going to go on a limb and say Bulldogs in a tight one. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so glad that you went first with that. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Massive, massive call. You guys are blowing up that I'm saying that the Bunnies might win a bitter rivalry rivalry and we've got Nat here calling the dogs over Manly. Look, I actually, you know, I actually respect you going out on a line and saying that because Manly were hopeless rounds one and two. I mean, they kind of just showed, they proved everyone right that they're just flat track bullies. They can't verse the top teams. I think if I was to try and peel back a few of the layers to why I think Manly are really struggling is their forward pack just can't compete. And last year, the game itself, because of the rule changes and the pace of the game, it actually suited their play style where just Tommy and their outside backs tore them to shreds. Like last year, Ruben Garrick out of nowhere looked like this world-class winger where, you know, to be fair, I I actually don't have the biggest rap on Garrick. I think he's solid. But again, you know, like he, he tore the competition apart. Jason Saab is only quick. He's like the tallest man in the league, but I don't think I've ever seen him catch a high ball or contest the high ball on a kick. So yeah, like I'm with you. There's there is huge problems in my on the in the roster, in my opinion. And you know, in the preseason, I thought that these guys had a massive chance to slide. And yeah, just their forward pack, like it just went nowhere. They got dominated by Takayaho alone last week, let alone the rest of the Roosters forwards. But there's actually nothing in their depth really to fix that issue i think like they're definitely missing schuster on the edge because i think bullimore would actually be really great for them in the middle um because they're just missing some punch they're missing a bit of leg speed in the middle like jake travojevic is obviously a gun and he was chopping blokes in half last week like he's he was the only one having a real crack in defense for them but he can't like he doesn't offer too much in attack and i definitely don't share your optimism when it comes (laughs) to this game but i definitely think that there are problems with manly and i don't think that like i actually don't think they're title contenders i don't i didn't have him in my i don't have him in my four you know they'll probably make the eight i think but yeah i just yeah there's a lot of problems on the other side of the ball it's i just don't think my opinion on trent barrett has never been lower honestly and like i know that they didn't get thrashed last week the dogs but they cannot attack they actually can't attack that if you are versing a team and you've got 60% possession, that is so much more ball. And they had like they had every opportunity to to win that game against the Broncos, but they had no answers in attack apart from Burden off the left foot, and like he is huge. 
I just can't see how Trent Barrett gets these raps for being this attacking master because he was part of the Penrith team when, <laughs> you know, the two years he spent at Manly, they were diabolical. They, they couldn't attack then. And arguably, they had a way better roster than this Bulldogs team with a young Tommy Turbo, Jake. Like, they essentially had pretty much the same team, and he could do no, he could do nothing with it. And now he's come to the Dogs. Last year, okay, the roster wasn't good, right? And they and they just their attack was awful. But this year, even with all the ins, I know, and again, I've got to remind myself, it's round two. You know, maybe combinations will form, it'll take time, but I'm just not seeing anything that is suggesting that, it, like, that's a, an actual intentional action to get points. And last week, when it came to, like, they had the chance to win the game or at least bring it to a draw, and they shifted left, and Brent Naden, I just don't rate Brent Naden. Like, he killed any attacking glimpses like the fox, there was one play where Naden had the fox unmarked in open space, and he just tucked it under the wing and just took the hit up. And the fox, you can just see him blowing up at at Naden. And I was just like, man, like this is just the same stuff on repeat from the from the dogs. And like there there is some positives. Burden is a gun. Like Ricky, you know, we've all kind of spoken at length that like Avarillo and Burden, they're, they're very similar. You know, I just don't know if it's going to work, the two of them. I think Avarillo is really talented. I just don't know if as a combination they're going to produce enough points or, you know, just bring some calm and stability into that back line. I do really like the forward pack. I mean, Tavita Pangai Jr. got subbed off six times yesterday like, on the weekend. It was crazy. Like, he, he did a 15-minute stint, 10 minutes on the sideline. They brought him back on, then they brought him back off. I don't know. What is going on? I don't know if he's just not that fit, but they moved into the middle before kickoff, which I thought worked really well. I thought, you know, he was offloading, he was promoting the ball. I think and Max King is killing it from the bench. Like, that guy is just all effort. He is – he kills it off the bench. If anything, he's putting Paul Vaughan to shame. Like, Paul Vaughan has been a bit of a dud the past two rounds. So, like, there, you know, there is some potential, but I just don't see – I just don't see any improvement, even with the – like, they've got better cattle, but from their attacking structures, I don't see where they're getting points. Like, Burden just can't do it on his own. Anyways, mainly 13-plus. <laughs> I really hope <laughs> – Wow. I really hope I really hope Tommy just scores like five tries. I've got him in my draft league. <laughs> so I think Manly bounce like this is the game that Manly win. You know, like their flat track bullies, this is set up for them to just dominate. I don't know. I just feel like Manly have to win at some point and they'll do it against a lower team. Thirteen plus Pat, but another bold one. I mean it's it's Manly need to do something because you can you can only come up against so many teams that are considered the easier teams before you've got to play the big teams again. And if they're in a position where they keep losing games, then they're going to get steamrolled by those big teams. Well, we certainly have you know very exciting eight games ahead of us in round number three. And I guess moving on to the news bit, surprisingly, the, the, the two bits of news are about two Burgess brothers, but regarding very different situations. And, you know, obviously everyone would have seen the, the George Burgess news regarding the fact that he's now been charged with the alleged sexual touching of a woman from last week and things have escalated and, you know, the Dragons put out a statement where he's he's still named in their 24-man squad, which certainly has, I mean, and I guess rightfully has upset, you know, many people. And it's an interesting one because I guess under the NRL's own no-fault stand-down policy, they tend to go with, if, if it's a charge that carries 11 years or more, you automatically stood down. But we have seen them use their, you know, discretionary powers with that. Obviously, Dylan Walker was stood down even though in, in the past, even though something that he did was only maximum jail sentence of of five years, which I think is what George Burgess is looking at as well. And I just don't understand how footy players put themselves in these situations where, you know, they are always in the public eye and there's 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 nothing that they can do that isn't going to be watched or monitored. And it's an interesting one in the sense that, Number one, how will it go in the courts? Obviously, our resident lawyer in that has has uh, had plenty of people coming at her with their nonsensical views about what the court system is and it is and isn't. But yeah, and then number two, you could probably say that the Dragons haven't handled it too well. I mean, again, 
I know you you can only go with what the courts do and and all of that, but you'd think that in a time like this, the Dragons would just, you know, take Burgess aside and say, look, it's negative publicity. It doesn't look good for us. We're going to sit you out the week or at least play in, you know, in reserve grade for the for the Dragons side in the, the knock-on effect cup. But it's just, yeah, players putting themselves in these situations continuously. You just, you just have to wonder whether they actually use the brains that they have like all of us. It almost feels sometimes with the Dragons that they're intentionally like doubling down on these players, which is really um, insensitive, I think. Yeah, in respect to this particular case, I think there were some misconceptions today on Twitter that you can just rock up to the police station, make the complaint, and then that becomes a charge. That's not the case at all. So for the police to charge, they actually have to have sufficient evidence that they think they can win at a trial. So they don't do that. You know, they don't. They take it seriously and they don't do that all the time. And then once they do that as well, the burden of proof is so high on them to prove beyond reasonable doubt that that happened, that a lot of the times they lose. And then this kind of knock-on effects make, make people think that there's, you know, liars and everyone or women who do this is not telling the truth and they're football players and they just want money and stuff like that, which is really, really far from the truth. And I think that, to be sensitive to the situation and to the very serious charges, the Dragons had an opportunity to actually kind of salvage their terrible reputation they've got in respect to this sort of thing and just not pick him for one, even one week, just the week that it's fresh before they, you know, they don't have information yet. It's like, okay, well, I'm sure George isn't going to die if he doesn't play this week. Just do not pick him or don't even list him on that 24-man squad at all. But instead they did when there was plenty of options for them not to do that. So I think it's super disappointing. And, I mean, I, we don't even have to talk about how disappointing it is that these charges have been laid. It was a, ma- a woman that wasn't his wife. That's the first problem. And it's just same old, same old. It's disappointing that this keeps popping up in the NRL. It's definitely disappointing. Like, even just on naming him, like, if they wanted, they could have named him in the in the 17 because he played last week. So they clearly did drop him, but they may as well just not named him i actually don't know why they went through all this to name him so yeah just really disappointing i thought that when i read it like it just sounded like super creepy you know like i don't like yeah anyways disappointing we'll see what happens now i think you know you even just mentioned it there that the allegation coming from like not his wife like that's you know very similar yeah anyways i don't want to dwell too much on it but yeah disappointing and we'll just have to see what happens uh, good off footy plays. You can always rely on them for a negative story. But obviously his brother Thomas is in a completely different predicament. And that's one where his South future is apparently in some sort of jeopardy. He's contracted until the end of 2023. Has been told that he can you know, look at other clubs and look at other options. And you know, I mean, he probably has had the best start to 2022. But I think in a side that is struggling for genuine middles, obviously now that Jai Arrow is playing out on the edge, based on the last couple of years, I mean, Tom Burgess has probably been their, their most consistent forward. I mean, particularly with Mark Nichols going to the Dolphins as well from next season. You know, it's not like a team can exactly afford to give up all their middles and, and just try and try and wing it. I know they're invested in, in Davey Mowali, who... You know, looked very good on the weekend in the in the limited game time that he got. But at the same time, you need veteran forwards in your team, and certainly Tom Burgess is is one of those guys for the bunnies. Yeah, really surprising to read this. Like he's probably been there. Like he's actually been really good. Even last year, leading into the grand final, he was awesome. Even when you know whether it was coming off the bench or whatever it might be. So I'm pretty yeah, I'm pretty surprised that he's being offered like I kind of thought originally it was just you know he was in demand and South were going to try to fight it but yeah very surprising to hear that South are trying to to shop him if that's if that's the case like I mean it wouldn't surprise me that he does just end up at the at the Dolphins like if he's got a decent relationship with Bennett you know not just from his South days but also from coaching England I can see him maybe just going there on a pretty rel- you know, on a relatively low contract. We all know that Bennett likes his forwards not being paid too much. So he probably fits the bill there. He's already got Mark Nichols going. You know, he's got a, an aging pack or 
I guess, to say the least already. Yeah, very surprising. Especially, yeah, Ricky, you actually hit the nail on the head there. Their middles have been a little bit fragile already. And the knock on them last year was that their pack was going to let them down. And, you know, to credit to them, they turned it around, they banded together, they made a grand final. But really, it still is a little bit thin unless there's a lot of depth there that we don't know about. Maybe they got some young, you know, young tearaways coming through. Um, but you don't want to see a similar situation where they let go of the veteran for the young kids, similar to Reynolds for Ilias, and, you know, they're just not ready or they could have really used that experience to help that younger generation for an extra year. Yeah, I'm surprised, given the way the Reynolds experiment is kind of appearing to turn out, that they didn't do exactly that and keep him around to try and pass that experience down. But aside from that, yeah, I agree with both of you entirely. I don't really have much else to add. It <laughs> defies logic. What would rugby league be without baffling decisions? That's we, We've all come to expect it. So <laughs> we say we're surprised, but really should we be? <laughs> but uh, it makes no sense to me. But, you know, I guess maybe, maybe that's why I'm not cut out to be a recruitment manager or, or a general manager of football. But... <laughs> You know, neither here nor there. And obviously, we ha- as, as I said earlier, we have eight very exciting games uh, ahead of us. Certainly, it's going to be a tremendous week of football. And we'll be back here next week once again to dissect all of the action. So may your team win. And obviously, we'll come back in ne- next week to who has the, I guess, the final say between the Pandas and the Knights on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Looking forward good to luck. it. Yeah, good luck, Nat. You too.